Today on the show, we bring a demonstration of mission in action. Our guest is Doug Brown, president of UMass Memorial Community Hospitals and chief administrative officer for the UMass Memorial Healthcare System. He had a vision for their community, looking in their own backyard and anchoring their institutional mission through local investing, local procurement, and local hiring. As a $2.4 billion integrated healthcare delivery system in central Massachusetts, UMass Memorial's Anchor Mission Project is addressing the social determinants of health beyond the traditional approach of providing excellent clinical care. UMass Memorial is putting their money where their mouth is by investing part of their institutional portfolio in local resources, purchasing directly from local businesses, and hiring a greater percentage from the surrounding community. And now, Howard Teibel and Greg Brown. Welcome, Douglas Brown, to Navigating Change. I'm so excited to have you on here. Thank you so much, Howard. It's, it's wonderful to be here. It's, uh, you know, the power of Zoom uh, allows us to reconnect this way. And in, in you, know, you and I have known each other for how many years now? Probably 15 years. I would say, yeah. yeah, probably 15 years. You've got a really exciting initiative that you have been a part of, spearheading, and it's this idea of building and growing and being an anchor institution. And what does that mean? And I think this is a really relevant topic for any organization that does have in the background a social mission. So, why don't we have you start off and just give a context for the listener what it means to be an anchor institution uh, as it relates to healthcare? Because I think it also translates beautifully for higher ed, higher ed institutions. I think it does as well, Howard. And, and thanks again for having me. It's it's just wonderful to see you on Zoom and and connect. Um, so the way that I think about this is uh, it's really a reimagining of the role that hospitals play in terms of connecting with their community. And there are a number of uh, uh, reasons this is happening. Um, I'd say the biggest reason is because we, were, we are thinking about health differently. And this has really been happening over a period of a few years. Um, you know, it's interesting. Most people don't realize that when you think about our health, uh, health care actually contributes only about 20% to our health over the course of a lifetime. But much bigger contributions are what we call the social determinants of health. And those are factors like um, uh, your income level, uh, where you live, um, your housing situation, uh, the level of crime in your in your neighborhood, the environmental factors. And so what we see when we look into these kind of non-clinical factors uh, is that there's huge variation. Uh, and so you could take a neighborhood in Worcester, the west side where UMass Memorial is located, and it has a life expectancy of uh, about 84 years. And you know, uh, all of those social and economic factors are very high, high, uh, high income levels, uh, low crime in the neighborhood, uh, big white population. And then you look two miles to the south in a place we call Kelly Square, and the life expectancy drops by 11 years. 
Mm-hmm. And that's all due to the conditions of that neighborhood. Um, you know, much higher uh, Medicaid uh, uh, population on Medicaid, a higher percentage of people without a license, without a car. Um, and, and what we've learned is that um, when you are at lower income and some of these social and economic factors are, um, are just much more difficult for you in your neighborhood, it, it really creates these stressors in your life. And, and you kind of, uh, you have this sense of a lack of empowerment over the decisions of your life. And sadly, that has a huge impact on how long you live, which is the ultimate measure. And so the life expectancy in that neighborhood of Kelly Square I mentioned is lower than many third world countries, uh, which you don't really think about. So what we are doing is we are trying to leverage all of the assets of our organization to address uh, what we call social disadvantage and pervasive inequality, because it's right in our neighborhood and it's in every neighborhood that every hospital and educational institution in the country is in. If they look hard enough and uh, they look at the data, they will see these same trends. And so we do that in three major ways. First of all, we make this consciously a part of the strategy of our organization. So it's discussed from the top down. But we focus on three areas. The first is investing. We have an investment portfolio of about $400 million. We have decided to allocate 1% of that, uh, which is $4 million and redirect those investments to local investments. So they're not grants, they're still investments, but now they will be in housing uh, and other things where instead of maybe getting a 7% return, we'll get a one or 2% return, equivalent to fixed income, but, but it's invested in a way that's gonna change those neighborhoods uh, and address those issues. Um, we also are focusing on purchasing, so we, we buy hundreds of millions of dollars worth of stuff every year. And again, if we just direct some of those purchases locally, it can have a profound impact on businesses uh, owned by uh, people of color and women uh, and individuals in these neighborhoods and can start to turn around that. And finally, uh, hiring practices, we're looking very differently at how we hire and where we hire from and we've identified a number of job categories uh, at really entry-level positions where we can work with partners in the community and go right into these uh, communities that have 50% unemployment, for example, uh, and really try to hire people from those neighborhoods to, to change lives and ideally get them into our organization, train them, give them a lot of supports on some of the soft skills and and technical skills uh, and, and create a pipeline so they can not only get that twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year job, but they can move up in the organization and eventually be in that $80,000 a year job of which we have many in the organization. So that, that's really what it's, what it's about. It's, it's at its core, um, you know, being, being um, true to our mission of improving health in the community. And it's looking at health in a different way. So what's interesting thinking about mission is that mission can be thought of as the core thing that we're responsible for. You know, what is what are we supposed to be serving? And this idea 
that then requires focus and implementation and clarity and metrics and looking at data. Uh, this is either something that elevates the conversation about our mission. You know, because some people would say, if you ask them in a hospital system or in, in a lot of the work that we do in education, what's the mission? Clinical, ca clinical care. Uh, that's our mission. And you can make an argument that that's, that's what we focus on. And that's why. So when you think about this and you see how this is evolving, is this elevating the mission and be, or is this be broadening the mission? Yeah, it's a great question, Howard. And that kind of conversation has been uh, actively taking place within some of the enlightened healthcare organizations who are really going through this. And I've had conversations with many other organizations that say, look, it's hard enough for us to just take care of patients when they get here. We can't solve all of society's ills and it's beyond the scope of our work. And, you know, it's a valid point. It really is. But what I say in response is we can't solve it all alone, but we have a huge role to play in serving as a role model to inspire other organizations to do so. And, and you know, what I challenge people to think about, um, and I'll, I'll make the connection to education as well in a moment, but our, our mission statement says to improve the health of the people of central Massachusetts. And so what I argue is that this is being authentic to our mission, right? We just haven't uh, thought about this, but if we are really about health at the end of the day, and we know that these social and economic factors have three times the impact on one's health than the healthcare we deliver, how can we not be focused on this? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I, I, I've talked to many within the organization, um, and, uh, and this truly resonates with, with, with employees in a way that I've never seen anything do. And, and it's inspired so many of our employees. So I think this sense of, you know, not only wanting to take great care of patients, but wanting to help the conditions that we send those patients back to when they leave uh, is just some, something larger than themselves and is uh, motivating and inspiring employees in a way that I've, I've never imagined. And so in that sense, there's kind of an unintended consequence of this, which is it's a huge employee engagement tool. Yes. Uh, but, but I'll say that, you know, in our community, one of our, our kind of uh, models for this uh, is Clark University, uh, you know, a, a small liberal arts school in Worcester, uh, a wonderful school. And while they may not have called it Anchor Mission, uh, they've, been, um, they've been thinking of this and working on this for 10 years. And they, they've just decided it was their responsibility to engage with their local community, which was really, when they started, uh, quite impoverished and uh, had a number of issues. Uh, and they have done amazing things and, you know, uh, building um, uh, sports fields and centers in association with the Boys and Girls Clubs and helping to turn around uh, neighborhoods and, uh, and making commitments to uh, to live, uh, having their employees live in certain areas. So, um, and I think if you talk to their leadership, you would say that um, not only uh, does this benefit the neighborhood, but it's transformed the way we, they think about themselves as an educational institution. It's just part of their 
DNA now. They open their gates to the community. They have a lot of programs. And I, I think they would say it just greatly enhances the, the experience for their students and the educational opportunities. And yeah. so um, it, it is broader, but I, I'd say it's kind of coming back to being truly authentic to what we're about. Yeah, there's so much to talk about here. So what's interesting, too, is this question, I would imagine, as you talk to people, and you talk about challenging individuals, what do you say to people who oversee other healthcare institutions who say that they're already doing this, right? Because the, the mission of a healthcare institution or, or an education institution is broad and it always has been, right? So and I think that most, most healthcare institutions could probably point to initiatives they're doing in their community. So how do you distinguish this for people to help them see what this is different from what they're already doing? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I'll say that many healthcare organizations are doing extraordinary work. Uh, they really are in so many different ways. Um, and, you know, even though we're, um, we've been engaged in this journey for two years, um, we're not the first, we're not the best. Uh, we've learned from many other leaders in this space. Uh, we may be moving the fastest because it's just, you know, it's taken hold uh, in our organization. And, and we have about 13,000, 14,000 employees throughout our system. Mm. Um, but what I, what I would say is they're really not doing this, this work, right? So typically for hospitals, um, they all have what we call community benefit programs. And that originates out of the IRS uh, back in the 1960s saying, um, you know, hospitals are exempt from taxation because they're nonprofit and we have to decide what we expect of them in return. And one of the things the IRS said, and this created a whole, um, you know, whole departments and hospitals was that they need to give back to the community in certain ways. And so hospitals do so through charity care. Uh, through, um, you know, discounted care they offer, and they have a number of kind of wellness and, and other uh, preventative type programs in the community. And those are wonderful. But typically, those are in the form of grants. Yes. Um, and and when, when we talk about reallocating our investments to go into the community, it's a very different mindset. And it involves, um, uh, in, in many cases, a much larger um, percentage of uh, assets that are being redirected and has a much larger impact, right? Um, grants are temporary. They're one time, maybe they're repeated, maybe they're not. But uh, when, we, when we make investments that continue to go in the community, that helps seed new businesses and entrepreneurial efforts. And it's, it's a much bigger factor. Um, hiring, you know, the same way, you know, uh, we, we've... Um, some organizations are doing this, but not very many uh, are really targeting neighborhoods and, and certain communities uh, for hiring. Um, and then purchasing, you know, um, again, we, we like, like many organizations like us, have been focused on uh, the highest quality product or services uh, for the lowest cost. I mean, that, that's kind of the mission, and that will remain really important. But within that, uh, we can actually take a piece of our purchases 
and and make them locally and um and you know in some cases it might cost us a little more um the quality won't be less because that's just a threshold we can't we can't um afford less quality but maybe we pay a little more for turning around a neighborhood and making a difference or seeding a new laundry business in Worcester that can employ a bunch of jobs um you know Cleveland has done amazing things in this regard and happy to elaborate on on some of that but um uh so you know hospitals are doing great things but this particularly is really a way of 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 looking at the whole organization and leveraging all of our assets and directing them locally and that's not not being done nearly in the way it can be and that's you know, even hospitals. even the phrase anchor mission right it anchors you so so that's you know what i'm hearing from you it's not a replacement of the mission it anchors you further into the mission that you say but you're not necessarily necessarily living right it's a is is that a is that a fair way of uh describing it yeah that's exactly right and you know i think underlying it all is this recognition that certain institutions are are what what some have called sticky assets, right? And they typically are uh, meds and eds, so medical and educational institutions. They're nonprofit, and they're not the type of institutions that are likely to get up and leave right. when problems arise, right? They're you large. Know? They're large place-based institutions. They're not going to move, and the nature of where they physically are is fundamentally investing in their community. Exactly. And yeah. so because of that we we have this unique role to play in recognizing that you know as goes the community so so goes all of us and so we really are connected and helping to think about how we can deepen that connection to help lift up all parts of the community I think is important. Okay, let's get at uh something that's current on everybody's mind. How has COVID both helped accelerate and make the case and also make this more difficult? Yeah, um, I, I think uh, COVID has only, uh, it's gonna accelerate it. Uh, um, and I think it only has served to underscore how important this work is. Um, so before I talk about that though, I, I will state the obvious, like many other things, if you're living in a hospital, um, during COVID, uh, many things have been put on hold, right? So we've kind of cleared the deck and, and focused exclusively on, at least in Massachusetts, uh, on how we uh, take care of patients really well and get them through this crisis. And as you know, in our case, uh, I'm just incredibly proud of the work that all Massachusetts hospitals and frankly, Massachusetts government has done to respond to this crisis. I think we took all the right steps um, uh, from from top to bottom. We hit our peak uh, about May 1st, and that was the point at which, uh, even though we surged up, uh, we were in Worcester at full capacity. And there was a week there where we, we just were really pretty worried because we couldn't take any more patients. And this was after opening a field hospital and the like. And then the curve started to come down, as you know, and we're at a much better place now. Um, so, so like so many other things, our anchor mission work kind of had, had a pause. But as we're coming out of this, um, 
we're now having conversations and what we're seeing is we're looking carefully at the data and we know that um, uh, the COVID infection rate has been much higher for communities of color in Worcester, particularly the Latin, Latino community. Uh, the Hispanics are, are, have, have uh, gotten COVID at a much higher rate and that deeply troubles and concerns us. And of course, these neighborhoods that I talked about at the beginning with the high life expectancy are where there are a higher proportion of communities of color. So it, it really underscores for us um, uh, why this work is so important because these social determinants, the, the burden of disease have, has fallen harder on these communities and it shouldn't surprise us. Um, and you know, even the, the kind of reckoning we're having as a nation on, um, on race relations and systemic racism you know, what, what underlies a lot of these disparities in these neighborhoods really is institutional racism in many ways. Um, and so I think as we confront this history and grapple with that, um, I can't think of a better way we can address it by, again, using the assets of our organization to go and, um, and be very intentional about um, how we're going to help turn around some of these neighborhoods. Um, and the last thing I'd say, and, and, and one of the reasons I have so much hope for this work when I talk to other organizations and, and try to persuade them why this is important for them to do is it really doesn't take new dollars. Uh, so, you know, I often get, hurt, I get uh, people tell me, well, geez, you know, hospitals are struggling. We all have financial issues. How possibly can we think about this? And what I tell them is, this isn't coming up with new dollars, it's redirecting existing dollars. Um, you know, so we, we have to invest our investment portfolio anyway, and instead of investing in the stock market, we're gonna take a very, very small piece of it, right. uh, and we're gonna invest it in different kinds of investments. Uh, we have to hire people anyway, right? We're just looking uh, to be a little bit more intentional about where we hire from, and we have to buy stuff anyway. So, um, you know, I think whether it's good times, bad times, every organization has an opportunity to engage in this work. Yeah, so let's talk about engagement because you mentioned that earlier. Engagement is interesting because, you know, in the work that we do, we'll often start with working with the leaders. And the leaders are, by definition, already engaged in a certain kind of what's the strategy. And then as you sprinkle through the organization, the hope is, is that you can get people to connect with whatever that higher purpose is. Uh, and then it gets increasingly difficult because people often are not in those conversations or we don't intentionally find ways to engage them and how do you connect with where we're going? So talk a little bit about what engagement looks like and how what kind of impact you've seen uh, across the, the the different hospitals in terms of you know the staff the nurses the doctors obviously the community sees this as tremendous benefit but internally how is the organization responding and seeing the benefit here yeah it's a great question and um you know, again, I'd say they're resp responding in, in kind of remarkable ways. So, you know, th this all started when the chair of our board, who happens to be a, 
uh, an expert in public health. He's a professor of, uh, uh, at the Harvard School of Public Health. He teaches finance. He teaches other things. But um, he and I were at a, at a conference and heard the CEO of ProMedica, uh, a healthcare organization in Toledo, who's really been out front in this work. And so it really kind of started at the top of the organization. To your point, we, we brought this CEO back. We had a board retreat. We, we uh, presented it to the board, and they were, they were all enthusiastic. But you're right. The question is, uh, how, how does it take hold? And what I'd say is that uh, more than anything, the, uh, the reason for the success of this is, is because it is bubbled up from the bottom. So it has kind of grown organically. And when I started to talk to folks within the organization, and I've given, you know, dozens and dozens of presentations to all different groups, every time I talk about this, I have, you know, three to five people come up after me and say, I'm so proud of our organization for doing this work. How can I get involved? And it's just grown. So we've got a steering committee that is broadly represented throughout the organization, people at all different levels of the organization. We've got, we've got union leadership on there, one of our largest unions. Uh, the, the leaders uh, have been so excited about this. We've engaged them in the work. Um, so it, uh, it really brings people together in a way, as, as I said earlier, that allows them to kind of um, move above or beyond their kind of daily grind and engage at work in something larger than themselves. And they love to do it. You know, uh, I, I think, um, you know, in many ways, healthcare workers are pretty beleaguered these days. And that was true before COVID. And that's especially true now. And they have really important, very difficult jobs. And so the opportunity to engage them in a way that connects them deep, more deeply to their employer, understands how their employer is reaching out and allows them to participate in that. I just think is people feel very inspired by, and it, it's just an amazing to see how, how excited it's, it's made our employees and our organization. So, you know, a couple other things I want to have our listeners pay attention to, because you know, what I hope for people as they're listening is whether they're in healthcare or higher ed or any other social kind of uh, endeavor, that they step back and say, are we really living our higher purpose? And and not like there's a ready answer. It's it's the willingness to dig in and say, what does that look like and what does that mean for us? Uh, how do you get started on this? So, so talk a little bit about, because what there has to be is a sense of buy-in that leads to a commitment and then a declaration, this is what we're doing. Say a little bit about if someone says, you know what, I do want to put some energy around this, whatever, whether it's healthcare or higher ed, what would you say would be the right first three steps? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first call me. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'd, be, I'd be delighted to talk to anyone because, you know, it's, when you engage in a journey like this and you've seen it play out, um, you know, what you really want to do is to help others do the same thing. And that, that's, that's really rewarding. So uh, I'm happy to uh, talk to anyone. The, the second we, we will give I out your is, phone number, not your home number. We'll give your. <laughs> that's fine. Either one. You can give okay, up myself. All right. Um, the, the other thing that you know um, 
you know, one of the blessings for us was that we had two Harvard doctoral students uh, work with us to help us assess and do it. And one of the products of their work was doing a case study, which is one of the first case studies in the country uh, published by the Harvard School of Public Health. Uh, again, I'd encourage people to read it because it kind of takes them through all of our steps, uh, some missteps, I would say, but at least they can learn one organization's journey. Um, so I think the, uh, but, but just summarizing and answering your specific questions about three steps after you call me, after you read the case study, I think number one, getting the top of the house engaged is critical, right? Because if either the board chair or the CEO of the organization is not bought in, it's, you're just going to face some real big headwinds because, uh, you know, uh, the places that have been successful in our case, you know, I'm not the CEO, but I'm one down from him. And I, I partnered with the chair of our board. So we kind of sandwiched our CEO, not that he was an unwilling participant. He was totally engaged, but he gave us carte blanche and it made a difference. The other places that have really moved this, uh, it's, it's been motivated or inspired from the top. So, so that's, that I think is really important. Um, uh, the second thing is engage your board. Um, again, boards of trustees, what I find is when they hear this, uh, just like our employees, it inspires them, particularly, you know, in nonprofit organizations, we're all in. Oftentimes they got involved because they, they, they are mission driven people. They want to serve a larger purpose and they love the fact that they're using the organization to, to serve a larger purpose. So, uh, I, I'd say, um, get involved. You know, uh, um, the Democracy Collaborative is an organization out there that has been, um, actively engaged in this. They were enormously helpful to us. Uh, they have several retreats every year. They're more like revivals because people are so excited. So that's a connection that can really help people. They've done all sorts of kind of playbooks and toolkits to help people move forward. Um, uh, you know, I think setting up a steering committee is really key. But, but in terms of the first steps, CEO, board, board chair, um, talk to me, read some of the playbooks that are out there. That's what I would say how to start. It's not going to go anywhere without the leadership, but this is also an example. It, it, it doesn't have to start with the person at the tops. This can be right. built by somebody bringing forward and doing the research and understanding, pulling people together. We talk a lot about the idea of not just waiting for for people to make requests of you, but look for opportunities to make offers to your organization. And very often people think that the leadership at the top have all the answers and they don't. Exactly. So yeah, that's very you're good. Absolutely right. So uh, go ahead. No, no. I just so one of the things I, you know, as we think about what's next. So I'm sure you're, there, there's an absolute focus right now on, how we're going to get to a place where the COVID rates continue to go down in your region, how you're going to manage that. There's a lot of factors here that are out of your control, uh, including for other institutions, uh, how the governors are responding. So there's a lot of external factors that we're having to respond to. But when you think about being able to put your energy really back on this fully, what do you see as next for this anchor 
mission uh, in, in terms of it really having the next level of impact? Yeah, so... Um, I'm, giving you some, I'm giving you some tough questions here, maybe. It's like, all right, yeah, that's no, a great... Yeah. Oh, these are really good questions. Um, yeah. We So um, I just brought together some of the leaders in this work uh, last week uh, on kind of a mini retreat to to ask ourselves that very question, you know, to say, all right, we've all been, you know, heads down, focused on COVID. We're emerging now. Uh, like like the rest of our business, where we're actively thinking about how to how to emerge, how to reimagine, how are things different? Uh, we had the same conversation with Anchor, and um, and we had a great conversation. And you know, I'd say what came out of it. So we have our steering committee in about two weeks, and we're going to engage the broader group in that very question. But um, some of the things that we're thinking about is how we create an anchor community. So it's one thing for UMass Memorial to do it, but you know I mentioned our investment, uh, 1% of it is $4 million. If you imagine if we could engage other like-minded organizations in our community, both nonprofit and for-profit, that four million could quickly become tens of millions of dollars, and now you're talking about exponential impact. And uh, and so that's what we're thinking about is how we um, engage and partner with other like-minded organizations. I mentioned Clark University. We have many other colleges in Worcester: WPI, uh, Assumption, Holy Cross. We have other healthcare institutions. We have uh, health insurers in Worcester. And we, we even have for-profits. You know, we've been talking lo- mostly about mission-driven organizations, but Hanover Insurance Company is a great company, national company based in Worcester. And, and they've actually have a proud tradition of doing some of this work. They helped transform downtown and created a, an arts theater that has been very successful. So we, we want to be able to bring these organizations together to say, look, is there a way together we can really focus on these things? And, uh, and that to us is nirvana, right? Uh, in terms of helping our own community. And, you know, Worcester's kind of primed for this right now. It's, it's, uh, it's going through a, a bit of a renaissance. It has a very engaged and enlightened city manager. Uh, and, and, you know, it, the city came together in amazing ways through COVID to create um, this uh, task force of all stakeholders in the city. And so one thing we said is let's, let's get before them and talk about this anchor mission work because uh, it, it will really resonate. We've got kind of an infrastructure that is now focused on community needs. So that, that's really the big things we're thinking about next. And, and what's powerful about this, Tug, is the idea of moving beyond questions around survival, questions around even thriving, right? Because thriving is also in the context of what we already say we do. This is not about what we do. This is about the kind of value we're producing. And right now, this is the time to have institutions look at this. The, The nature of what you said was so fascinating just now, because in many ways, you have to start by having success in your own backyard. And then when you show that success, I think I read something about anchor clusters, right? And I think in a certain way, that's what you're talking about. The idea of, all right, 
getting others to be part of that story. And that's very relevant for higher ed institutions and other social-based institutions to say, what kind of impact are we having in the local economy? How do we take advantage of the local purchasing and, and help grow that economy? Uh, and, then, and then finally, the willingness to take some portion of what we've been able to achieve, our investment, and give it back. Everybody knows it's the right thing to do. It's really about taking the step to move this forward. So exactly. thank you. Well, a couple things. I, I'm, I'm so encouraged to know that you're in this. I've known you for many years. You've always, in my opinion, focused on what it means to produce uh, value for people around you. And it feels like you are, you have found something that is really central to who you are. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because it, it certainly feels that way to me. And, uh, and I'll just echo, you know, we, we've, uh, we go way back and, and you're one of the greatest thought leaders I know, Howard. So uh, I'm, I'm honored to to be joining you on the call and to have a chance to talk about this. Well, we will you know, stay you're connected. My model. You're my model in so many ways. Well, I appreciate that. I, it, the, the feeling's mutual. We'll have to do a road trip at some time when, when I can get on a plane and come visit you. Absolutely. Good All right. Well, thank you so much, Doug. We'll, we'll, we'll do this again. My pleasure. Look forward to it. Thank you, Howard. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care.